This is an ABC podcast. When we talk about what's going on around the Hunter, one phrase keeps coming up. Energy transition. Now, stay with me. Don't roll your eyes. I know as a phrase it's kind of like a constant promise, but one that doesn't come with a lot of detail for us and feels very far off in the future. Steel manufacturing and coal extraction built Newcastle and Musselbrook. So this really couldn't be a podcast about Newcastle and the Hunter Valley if it didn't touch on one of the biggest issues facing us at the moment. And we've got questions. What kind of energy is coming to transition the community away from coal? Solar? Offshore wind? And who is going to be leading the charge on the transition? Is it going to be people in Canberra? Or is it going to be the locals? And, most importantly, what is going to happen to the people around here? This is the Newcastle Hunter Catch-Up. I'm Bridget Murphy, and today we're unpacking the future of power in Newcastle and the Hunter Valley with the experts and local leaders pushing for change. Pretty much everything in our modern economy runs on energy at one point or another, you know, whether that's food, which is produced by farmers who use machinery and equipment that consumes energy, you know, need energy to get the food to the consumers, your supermarkets using energy to run the fridges and so on. Alison Reeve works as the Deputy Program Director for Energy and Climate Change at the Grattan Institute. And our work on energy generally encompasses things that governments could be doing in the near term that are practical to put Australia on a path to prosperity. It also increasingly has a dimension around climate change and the impact of what's called the energy transition, which is the move away from fossil fuels and towards using renewable energy. It's been known for a while that coal is not a sustainable way to run our energy market. The push to transition is only speeding up, with more and more coal-fired power stations announcing their closures, like Araring. Moving away from coal will be huge for the local economy, but that type of upheaval isn't an unheard of experience in this region. The Hunters kind of already been through one big industrial transition when BHP pulled out of Newcastle. And what you sort of see when that happens is that you get you get sort of an immediate shock, but then you kind of get this sort of long-term change in the pattern of activity that happens. And, you know, People do find, some people do move away. Um, People find jobs in other areas. New industries grow up um, that people then move into and so on. And so that's potentially something that is coming again for the hunter. It's just we need to kind of work out what it looks like. Transition isn't just about closing down power supplies that emit greenhouse gases. In an electrified world, something has to replace them. Alison frames it as an opportunity. You know, there, there are, I think, a lot of things in the Hunter where, so, for, you know, if we look at, say, the um, aluminium smelter, for example, most of what aluminium smelters rely on is electricity, and electricity can come from anywhere. So one of the things that might happen in the Hunter, for example, is that all of that big build in renewable energy that's happening or going to happen up in New England over the next 10 to 20 years will end up supplying electricity down to the Hunter so that the industrial base in the Hunter that relies on um, low-cost electricity can continue to do that. It's just the electricity is going to come, you know, 
via poles and wires rather than um, coming from the, the coal-fired power stations. A lot of the energy infrastructure around the country and around the Hunter, such as increased transmission capability, basically being able to push out more power into the grid, is built around these old coal-fired power stations. As a result, there's the chance to put in new methods of generating power to make up the loss of coal. Offshore wind obviously happens in the ocean. One of the things about offshore wind is that um, it tends to blow more consistently than the wind does on land, so it can actually be a better resource. In some cases, it might be better to upgrade the transmission link up to New England or something like that. In other cases, it might work out cheaper to accept that you've got a solar resource, you know, say on some of these disused mine sites, that is not quite as good as, new, as the New England one, but you don't have the cost of the transmission network to, to move the electricity to where you need it. And so the economics might work out the other way. It's Roberta Ryan and I'm a professor at the University of Newcastle and I'm the director of the Institute for Regional Futures. The decisions about what comes next for this region are critical. We need locals at the table who know the region and what we need. Roberta Ryan is one of those locals. She'll be advising the government on how to manage such a complex job. It's the New South Wales government's royalties for rejuvenation panel. So what the panel does is, so the New South Wales government is setting aside funding each year from mining royalties uh, to support coal mining communities and target investments towards strategic planning, workforce development, you know, constructing, enabling infrastructure, um, establishing new industries and employment opportunities. So it's a 10-member panel of which I'm uh, fortunate to be one of those members. It's a range of uh, expertise on the panel and the idea is that this is the Hunter Regional Expert Panel uh, to support uh, the allocation of that, of the royalties for the rejuvenation fund. We're wanting to make sure that that we're really positioning these regions for the new future, low carbon future. Look, coal mining, of course, is going to go on for a long time uh, in these communities. But what we're looking to is to diversify the economy. And that diversification is going to come in a whole range of ways and a whole range of options. Energy transition is as much about the gigawatts that circulate through the poles and the wires as it is about the people on the ground who work to make that all possible. There's a very a strong recognition that support is needed for communities, uh, regional communities and rural communities in transition. That support uh, includes being able to see a future in these communities, particularly for young people. The tension between... Uh, wanting to recognise the impact of climate change and the urgency of moving to a low-carbon economy is pretty carefully balanced, particularly for young people, with understanding the needs to create jobs uh, and to have a future in their communities. It's really important it, to recognise that it's not just the immediate jobs in coal, it's the, it's the jobs for people who sit uh, in related industries, right through from people who, you know, make the uniforms to making the lunches and put petrol in people's cars and so on. Um, we know that uh, the things that really matter to where, uh, to the choices people make about where they live, they've got to have a job. 
they've got to have a job that's well paid. They've got to, if they're at working age, they've got to have that lifestyle and amenity, but they really need access to good quality health and education. Particularly for young people, they need to be part of the decision-making, uh, not having these decisions about their futures imposed upon them. So we've really got to work hard, I think, have to work really hard to make sure that we're inclusive in our decision-making, that we hear the voices of people from these communities and that we particularly um, support the aspirations of younger people in these communities. I think the identity of the hunter is already changing. I think when you look at uh, the incredible changes we've seen, particularly in the city of Newcastle um, over the last five or 10 years, it, it, you don't, you talk to people who come uh, to Newcastle and the hunter and the first thing they say is, gosh, look how much it's changed. Its reputation as a kind of dirty coal city, I think, has really gone. People uh, that I speak to don't see the hunter in that way anymore. They know that the hunter provides a very important, particularly the upper hunter, provides a very important contribution to the productivity um, and the economic future um, of the whole of the hunter. The things that are available for people in Musselbrook, for example, um, are really hidden gems. And I, I think we need to be uh, making sure that people really uh, understand the opportunities that exist in these um, smaller regional communities. We're in a situation where there's a lot of flux. You'll hear a lot about feasibility studies for basically anything. Solar panels on rejuvenated mine sites, offshore wind on the coast, or ideas for pumped hydro in old coal bowls. Roberta and the panel she's on are set up to focus on what locals need. Nothing is set in stone so far, which is making a lot of us nervous. But there's a real opportunity here, even if it feels like a lot of talk and not a lot of action. For Alison, that makes sense. I think the reason why sometimes you feel like you're not seeing it is because it's quite it's quite a lumpy transition. Um, it's not constantly happening all the time. It sort of tends to sort of come as a series of, of large events. With the announcements earlier this year around, you know, the potential closure of a Raring power station happening earlier, you know, that's a that's a big event. And then suddenly people pay attention and go, oh gosh, what's happening? You know, why is that closing? What what are the factors affecting there? But then we kind of get used to the idea, but then the next, you know, big announcement comes along and it feels like a shock again. Um, and that's why it, it does require looking ahead. What's going to define the future of industry in the Hunter is what you, the locals, get behind. There are going to be a number of quite tough decisions that have to be made by companies and by governments. And the earlier that they can start talking about those decisions and speaking with the communities that might be involved and allowing those communities to drive the direction, the better it will be for everybody. That is one of the things you can see when you look at the experience Newcastle had with the end of the steel industry is that the new industries or new um, initiatives and things that came up that actually worked and stuck around were the ones that people who lived in Newcastle thought of and did themselves. It was not the ones where the state government said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we did this or where the federal government tried to do something or other. Right? Those things didn't work. It's actually the people who live there are the people who actually have the information that they need to build the, the future. And so the role of, of governments and companies here is to kind of 
create the circumstances that allows that to happen. The Newcastle Hunter Catch-Up is produced on Awabakal land. Today it was presented and produced by Bridget Murphy and is produced by Toby Hemmings. Blythe Moore and Lucia Hill are our executive producers. If you like the show, tell a friend or leave a review wherever you're listening. We'll be back next week with even more stories from around Newcastle and the Hunter Valley. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.